so much for your grace and your mercy. Lord, you are great. You are good. You sent your son Jesus for us, people who don't deserve it, people who don't deserve your grace, your mercy. Lord, you sent your son Jesus to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And Jesus gave his life on the cross and he was buried, but he didn't stay there. Three days later, he resurrected in victory over sin and death, our sin and death, Lord. And for that, we celebrate. But we also ask that you would work in our hearts, that the resurrection would take root in our souls and motivate the the way we live in this world. And so, Lord, we give you all the glory today. We give you all the honor because, Lord, you are good and you are faithful. We we thank you so much. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Right? He is risen. Yeah, you guys are paying attention. I love that. Way to teach them. He is risen indeed. What a life-changing truth that is, isn't it? Uh, for many of us in here today, we, we can really relate to this idea that the resurrection of Jesus drastically changed our lives, who we are, by the way we live, by the way we walk, by the way we love. I know for me personally, uh, growing up in the church, the resurrection of Jesus, it was just kind of like, you know, assumed every week, every year you went to church on Easter and they talked about the resurre- resurrection and that was great. But at the end of the day, it's like, as I grow, the resurrection just pierces my soul on a deeper level. My gratitude and my thankfulness just absolutely permeates out of my heart as I get a little bit older, as I walk further down the journey of faith. You see, the resurrection for me, this truth gives me hope, gives me peace, it gives me rest, it gives me ultimately purpose in this life. And not only that, it also gives me a future hope, a hope of life eternal with my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I know many of you in this room today can really associate with that. You can say the words amen after that, can't you? Because Jesus has done for you what you could never do for yourselves, and that resurrection is so real in your life. And I'm so glad you're here today. But the reality is that there's probably people in this room today who are also still questioning. Still questioning this whole concept of this resurrection. Who is this Jesus and why did he have to resurrect? And did the resurrection actually happen? You see, questions are good to ask. It's good to wrestle. And so if that's you in here today, then great. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're wrestling. You see, today, what we want to do is answer two questions that many people have. They've asked in their lives and what they're still wondering today. We're going to ask two questions today pertaining to the resurrection of Jesus. First, we want to ask, how can we be sure the resurrection actually happened? And then second, why is the resurrection so important? And so no matter where you're at in your faith journey Even if you haven't started it, or maybe you're further along the road, these two questions are vital to really grasp in order to continue on this journey of faith. And so let's jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, take your phones out, whatever the case, or it's going to be on the screen for you today. 
But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what we have to understand is that the Corinthian church, which is what this letter, who this letter was written to, this church had a lot of questions. They had a lot of issues. And Paul, the apostle Paul, loved them so much that he wrote them multiple letters answering their questions, answering the way they lived and walked and really showing them what the Christian life is all about. And one of their questions was this concept of resurrection. Is resurrection even possible? And so we jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 14. Look what it says. The Apostle Paul says, but tell me this. He's speaking to this Corinthian church here. He says, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And so here we see that the Corinthians were questioning resurrection, but it's very important to understand that they are not questioning the resurrection of Jesus. In verse 11, we see that they actually believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And even earlier, we believe they, it says the same thing. They believe in the resurrection of Jesus. What they're questioning is the resurrection of Christians, of Christians. But Paul says, listen, that doesn't make sense because Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And if Jesus gave his life and he was buried and then resurrected, then obviously resurrection is possible. You can't believe in the resurrection of Jesus and not believe in the resurrection of Christian when Jesus returns. And so in the midst of answering their question, Paul gives us a great picture at the importance and the vitality of the resurrection of Jesus. What he wants us to understand is the reality and the importance of the resurrection of Jesus in our lives and in this world. And so what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15, he gives us two types of evidences. First, he gives us objective evidence, which is objective evidence is unbiased evidence that can stand up in the court of law. All right. And then he also gives us subjective evidence, which is absolutely biased evidence. In other words, basically the testimony of people who have experienced the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to look at these two uh, evidences, these objective and subjective, to look at did the resurrection actually happen and why is it so important for you and for me today? All right. So let's start with the objective evidence today. And for that, we need to go back to the beginning of chapter 15, where he reminds us of what's in first importance. Look at what he says here. He says, I passed on to you. Remember, this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scriptures said. We need to pause here for the moment. I love that he says those words. I passed on to you what was most important. How often do we complicate the Christian life? 
the life of religious people. How often do we lean into the idea that life is just, this Christian life is so complicated where it becomes a list of do's and it becomes a list of don'ts and it becomes this burden that we, oh man, we have to go to church and we have to do this and we have to do that and we have to do that. You see, how often do we just complicate following Jesus? It happens a lot. And yet here, Paul brings us back to what's of most important. When it comes to the Christian life, for you and for me today, what's of most important is the fact that Christ died for our sins. Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He came, he took on human form, he lived a perfect life, and he humbled himself and gave his life up for us. And he gave his life up for us in a criminal's way, on a cross. Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, he came and he died for our sins. Can you just let that sink in today? That concept, that word, our, he didn't die for his sins, he didn't die for their sins, he died for our sins, for you and for me. That's of most importance. He gave up the very breath he created with you in mind. And then his body was taken off the cross and it was wrapped up. And it was put into a tomb where he laid. But he didn't stay there, did he? We've been celebrating it all morning. Three days later, what happens? He was raised from the dead on three days later, on the third day, just as the scriptures said. So Christ died, he was buried, and then he resurrected. And this idea is of, of most importance. Why? Because all of the scriptures point to that one event. The scriptures here mentioned is the Old Testament scriptures, and guess what they're all pointing toward? The life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can't overcomplicate this religious life. We have to go back to what's of most importance. Now, I kind of went on a little rabbit trail there. This is not the objective evidence. This is the claim, okay? So when you are kind of making a case here, you have to have a claim, don't you? So here's the claim. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and resurrected, but here's where the evidence comes in. It's the next verse. He was seen he was seen by Peter, and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. So the claim is the fact that Jesus Christ, he died, was buried, resurrected, and the evidence, the objective evidence, is that there are over 500 eyewitnesses to this resurrection. What's, what's most important in a court of law? What's the best evidence you could have as an eyewitness? And how do we know that? Because of every crime drama on TV. What's the one? The smoking gun. We got an eyewitness. And then they put him in witness protection, but always the bad guys find out where the safe house is. And now they're in a mess and, you know, they can't figure it out. You see, eyewitnesses are vital to speak the truth. 
Eyewitnesses are vital to speak the truth. And guess what? When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, there's over 500 of them. At a time where people were just kind of, did it, did it happen? Did it not happen? And yet Paul's like, hey, you can go sit at their table and ask them about their experience of seeing the resurrected Jesus. They're still alive. They're not gone. They're not dead. They're still alive. Go talk to them. 500 people, which is pretty amazing. But it gets a little better than this. Because you think Jesus, if he was like, all right, if I'm going to resurrect, I'm going to go to only the people who actually believed and followed me. But that's not the case. And look what happens, what he says next. 1 Corinthians 15, 7. He said, so after he went to the 500 and everything, it says, then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Now, the apostles did believe and follow Jesus, but James didn't. James is the half-brother of Jesus, and we read in John 7, 5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. This is huge because Jesus resurrects, and he goes and he reveals himself to James, who did not believe and did not follow in Jesus until Jesus died and rose again. So this person who had no faith in Jesus, had no really recollection of who Jesus was, did not believe in him, and yet... Because he saw the risen Savior, it actually changed the trajectory of his life. It gave him new life. And James, starting in Acts 13, begins to be the leader of the Jerusalem church. He pens the letter James we have in the New Testament. And he becomes a martyr for the Christian faith. Why does that happen? Not because Jesus was his brother. Can you imagine the fights they had in their home? I've fought my brother before. Am I the only one? It's okay. Thank you. He didn't even believe in his brother Jesus. And yet, once he saw Jesus resurrected, it changed everything. It changed everything. And like I said, James ultimately pays the biggest price. He gives his life for his brother who was resurrected, for his Savior who walked out of that tomb. And Paul's saying here, go talk to James. He's just in the church in Jerusalem. Go talk to him. Figure it out. There's evidence there. But it even gets better. There's even one more person that's even more unlikely. And look what, look what Paul says next. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after I persecuted the way I persecuted God's church. You see, Paul did not believe in Jesus and his resurrection. Paul was a Pharisee. He believed in Judaism. But you know what he thought? He soundly believed that Jesus was dead. That when Jesus went into the tomb, that was the end of Jesus' life. And he thought this so much so that when people started claiming that Jesus resurrected, what did Paul do? He tried to stop The way he started persecuting people who were preaching this idea that Jesus had resurrected three days later. That was the difference between the Pharisees and the way people believing in Jesus. It was all about the resurrection. And that's why he says, and last of all, I also saw him. The person who's so least likely to follow Jesus, guess what? I follow Jesus. Why? Because I saw him. I saw the resurrected Jesus. 
He came to me on the road to Damascus. He changed my life. I was heading one way, but now my life is heading another way. And he goes and he plants all these churches. And instead of tearing down the way, he then builds up the church and brings it to where it is. So listen, Jesus appears to over 500 people. And then he goes further and he appears to James, his brother, who had no belief in him, who then, who then gives his life to his brother. And then he appears to Paul, who was persecuting the church, but now he's building up the church. Do you know what the one common denominator for all of these people are? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If it weren't real or if it didn't happen, James doesn't give his life. Paul doesn't give his life. The other apostles don't give their lives. The other disciples don't give their lives. And for 2,000 years, people don't give their lives to Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It turns the world upside down, we see in Acts 7. You see, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And it's led to the global movement of the church. This is another objective evidence as well. And here's why, because in Acts, we see this beautiful story. There's a guy by the name of Gamaliel who's pretty wise. And in Acts, all the uh, apostles and stuff were, were kind of just preaching Jesus resurrected. And the Pharisees didn't know what to do, so they had him in custody. And they're like, what do we do with these guys? If we kill them, because they wanted to kill them, they were like, we just, need to, we just need to take them out, all right? These eyewitnesses, take them out, nothing can happen. But they didn't want to because a riot would have happened. A riot would have happened. And so Gamaliel stands up and he says, guys, don't kill him. He says this. He says, we've seen this before. There have been other people who have come before these guys who have claimed certain things. And you know what? If it's of man, it fails. And all these people before have failed and they're gone. And and the way, our way, Judaism is still happening. And then he looks at the crowd and he looks at these people and he says, but if this is of God, you cannot stop it. You can't stop it. So they beat him and let him go because they understood if it's of man, it's going to fail. But if it's of God, you can't stop it. And look where we're at today, thousands of years later, celebrating the same truth, the fact that Jesus gave his life, was buried, and yet walked out of the grave three days later. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Yes. The global movement of the church has reached you today in this building. It's reached people across the country. It's reached people across the world. It's reached people for thousands of years, and it's going to continue to reach people. And it all hinges on one truth, that Jesus rose from the grave. That's the objective evidence But there's more than just knowing it here in your mind. We have to understand it in our hearts. And so Paul goes on to give us subjective evidence today. He says, So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. 
new life. You see here, I can't really get into it too much, but we see a contrast between Adam and Jesus. And so Adam, of course, is Adam from Genesis. You see Adam right at the beginning. God created man in his own image. And Adam disobeyed God's one command. And through Adam came the curse of sin and death. And guess what? Adam died then, and Adam's still dead. He's still dead. But Paul wants to contrast it and say that's who we belong to. It says, just as everyone dies because all belong to Adam. That's all of our fates. But yet through Christ, everyone who belongs to Christ will be what? Given new life. We may not have eternal, like immortal life, but we have life and life eternal promised to us through Jesus You know what Paul's telling us is that the subjective evidence to the resurrection of Jesus is you, and it's me, and every single person who has experienced the new life through Jesus, we get to be the evidence of the fact that Jesus walked out of that grave. We get to be the ones to prove that Jesus truly did conquer death with death. We are the ones that get to show that he loved the world so much that he gave his only son and that whoever believes in him should have everlasting life. We get to be the proof by the way we live, by the way we love, and by the way we walk. You see, we live with hope. Because Jesus is alive. You see, we love because Jesus first loved us. We walk in faith because that tomb is empty. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is just not an excuse to go to church on a Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus pierces the depths of our soul. And it motivates and it changes the way we live because we have new life. Life now and life eternal. I told you we're gonna answer two questions today and I'm just gonna sum it all up if you didn't track with me. First, how do we know that the resurrection actually happened? Because there's objective evidence, evidence that proves the resurrection happened. We have the eyewitnesses, we have the global movement, but also because of the subjective evidence because of you and because of me, because we get to live, love, and walk in such a way that proves that Jesus walked out of that grave. That's how we know the resurrection happened, is is our lives, our testimonies. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He's a theologian, and basically he had all the answers. Everybody went to him for answers pertaining to Jesus and the church. And you know what? At the end of the day, he says, I have no answers anymore, only the life I have lived. Listen, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We all fail. It's all messy. It's not, like, it doesn't always go as planned. Am I right? Like, life is not perfect. None of this is perfect. You may be thinking, well, how can I be the evidence of the resurrection? It's because if you have faith in Christ and Christ alone, then you have new life, and that new life then motivates the way you live, and your life is the only answer anybody ever needs to see. Because it's through your life that they get to see the resurrected Jesus and his love for people like you and me. 
That's how we know the resurrection actually happened. And why is it important? Well, it's simple. I'm going to the last line here. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians to say your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Because remember, Jesus gave his life and he gave us his righteousness and he took our sin from us. But if he doesn't walk out of that tomb, there's no salvation from our sins. It's that simple. And so my last thing I want to say to you today is I want to implore you. I want to implore you to put your faith and your trust in the resurrected Jesus today. Whether it be for, uh, you've been on this faith journey for so long, and you're like, yeah, I've been to so many Easter services, I get this, but listen, are you hearing me? Listen, put your faith in Jesus and his resurrection and allow that to motivate how you live. Allow that to be your testimony. Be the evidence of the hope that we have in Christ. And if you've never put your faith in Christ, I want to implore you to do that for the first time. Simply repent. Admit that you're a sinner. You've fallen short. That you can't work your way to Jesus. You can't work your way to heaven. Admit that and put your faith in the risen Christ. Because if you do, you'll be given new life. Life now and life eternal. Listen, put your faith in the resurrected Jesus so that you can be a product and the proof of new life found only in him. The truth. The proof is right in front of you. Look at me, a human being through and through, messy and sin-prone since my first day. Yet still God's love is unhindered on my worst day. His friendship goes beyond just knowing my first name. He knows the hairs upon my head, my every thought and fear, the words I speak before they meet my lips, and the truth that I so desperately need to hear. Yes, he speaks to me, gently yet boldly, with encouragement and love. He walks with me, directing my steps, holding my hand, correcting my detours in those moments when I steal the reins. There is so much grace. This is the new life I lead. Still human, still messy, but considered clean and called into hope for eternity. Hope that starts now, that works within me, regenerating day by day, labeling me with righteousness and purity that I could never have earned by myself. This is the new life I lead. I hope it's so clear to the world, to every person who glances my way or stands behind me at the grocery store or whose cubicle shares a wall with mine. I hope it's so clear that I am living in God's promise. And I hope that for you too, I mean, think about it. What if you're the proof that someone's waiting for? the miracle that someone's fiercely praying for? What if every moment is an open door to point them towards peace they've never known before? What if this example goes beyond just words as a common saying goes, I'm sure you've heard that actions speak quite loudly and we're called to boast. So boast in God in all things, not just when things are going right, but when things go wrong. 
when you mess up, when you feel like the worst example, seize the opportunity before you. Wipe the sweat from your brow, dust the dirt off your knees, take a moment to cry if you have to, and then breathe in deep and stand back up and paint this picture. In your weakness, point to his incomparable strength. In your suffering, point to him who suffered for us. In your triumph, praise the Lord and offer up your thanks. And in your failing, still praise the Lord and so build up a confident faith. Your life is the perfect canvas for God to showcase his goodness. So live this new life with new promise. Be the proof.